Shavua Tov, everybody. So I want to talk to you tonight talk to you tonight a bit about courage, about the courage to be who we are, about the courage to take our darkness and to transform that darkness into light, the courage to use what's right here present in this moment and to use it as the very fuel of awakening. talk about the courage that's necessary in this practice. We do this work together, and as you may have noticed, this work can be quite challenging in certain ways, right? All kinds of things arise. Judgment, fear, suspicion, confusion, desire, hatred, anger. And as you've heard me and Jordan talk about, One of the fundamental textures of our practice is that we don't run away, right? In many ways, this practice is just about not running away. It's like, whatever's coming, I see you, I see you, I'm not going to run away. I'm willing with this real deep commitment of bravery and presence to hold my ground and to be fully, fully present with whatever's arising. To really open my heart. It says in Devarim that Hashem asks us to circumcise our hearts. And it's such a powerful imagery, I think. So we're going to cut away the foreskin. And what a circumcision does, of course, is it leaves that part of the body exposed, <coughs> right? Always exposed. <laughs> it's like no place to hide. We're sort of asked to circumcise our heart, to cut away anything that's covering the heart. And really just leave it open. It's like constant open heart surgery, right? (laughs) Just opening the heart and just leaving it open, 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 open to be touched by the world. And to do so is quite challenging. It's quite challenging. The Pizetzner Rebbe, the Ish Kodesh, says on the Parsha Kitetse, which talks about, Kitetse lemilchama aloivecha, when you go out to war against your enemy, when you go out to battle. And he talks in this parsha about a whole really incredibly beautiful teaching about um, the nature of love, the nature of uprooting suffering, and the nature of compassion. <clears throat> and how some of our basic work is to actually... Thornton talked about preparing the ground and planting the seeds. So that we have to be careful not to water the wrong seeds. There's these seeds of hatred and seeds of violence and seeds of animosity. And we can water them, and we often do. 
And so one of the fundamental choices is which seeds are we going to water? And he says in that, in that parsha, he says, and why is it kitetzel and Why is it talking about when you go out to war? Because it's really hard to do this. It takes this tremendous courage to say, even though so much of me is pulling to water the wrong seeds, I am making this firm and courageous commitment to kind of turn away from the things I don't want to water, to welcome them in with great compassion without feeding them, and to turn towards those parts of myself which I think are going to best serve myself and this world. And it's really in many ways um, the story of Hanukkah, which we've just passed, strangely enough, you know, very early this year, as I'm sure you all noticed. <laughs> but we're still in the, the month of Hanukkah. Because what does Hanukkah mean? What do we get this word Hanukkah? Jordan again mentioned it this morning. It says, the, the psalm we read says, Hanukkah Tabayit David, the preparation of the house of David. And really that's what Hanukkah is about. It's the rededication, the preparation of the house, the house, God's house, right? The temple in this case. And the story of Hanukkah in many ways is the story of people who were committed to being who they were. Committed to being authentic to themselves. And it's a story which is our own story of each one of us. Rav Tzadika Cohen says that what is Hanukkah? What is this Hanukkah that we can all do? Everyone is able to do this preparation of the house, this house, so that the divine dwells within our heart. We can do this act of courage so the divine is fully present for us. And the Pizetzner says in another place, for those of you who know a little Hebrew, so Chanukah, the same root letters as Chinuch, and Chinuch means education. So this dedication and education are the same word. And why are they the same word, the Pizetzner says? Because what does Chinuch really mean, education mean? Education means preparing something to be what it is. Rededication. What education really is, is preparing us to be who we truly are. And he says, another talk, another discussion, but any of you are educators, there's an amazing book called The Student's Obligation, which is, all talks about how the task of the educator is actually to enable the child to become who they truly are. And therefore the educator has to tell the child, I can't teach you, I can only facilitate this process that you're going through. I'm just there to facilitate this process. It's not up to me, it's up to you, and this is for elementary school students, right? So we're not even talking about older kids. He's like, teacher has to make clear, this is your process, I'm here with all my heart and love to help you, but you have to become who you truly are. And I'm here to help you do that. But of course, as we all know, being who we are is scary. And it's scary because for many of us, maybe all of us in some ways, there are many times in our lives where we felt like we weren't accepted for who we were. We wouldn't be acceptable if we were just who we were. There's that feeling of rejection, right? 
there are those voices of disapproval, outer, but also inner, right? I'm sure you've heard them over the course of the last two days, right? The voices of judgment, of disapproval, that isn't right, you're not right, that person isn't right, right? Which is actually a reflection of just your own inner disapproval. So there's these voices we hear which tell us that in some way we're not right. It's like middle school is constantly happening in our head, right? <laughs> and you see it, I mean, it's, a, it's, very, it's interesting. It's, like, it's why middle school kids, they all like dress exactly the same, right? You see a group of middle school girls. It's like they all look exactly the same, right? <laughs> because, because there's this deep, deep and scary need to fit in, right? To not be rejected, to be accepted. And we see that in the workings of our mind, in the critiques and the condemnation, which are all about trying to feel safe. They're all about trying to feel safe and acceptable. All that stuff happening in your mind, that person isn't okay, I'm not okay, that's not quite right, the retreat isn't okay, the room isn't okay, right? Whatever's not okay, it's your mind being like, oh, oh, not quite safe. Maybe if I like fix a few barriers and put things in place, then everybody thing will be okay. Right? Then everything will be okay. If I'm like a good little boy and girl, then everything will be okay. But in this practice, we're actually not interested in being good little boys and girls. We're not interested in that. We're interested in being who we truly are in opening to that truth of yourself which is always waiting to be revealed in this moment and in the next moment. Sometimes we feel, I don't know where I heard this, for every action there's an equal and opposite criticism. (laughs) (laughs) And so our task is not to banish the judgmental mind, right? You can't banish the judgmental mind. I mean, you can try, and good luck to you, right? But you can't do it. You can't push the judgmental mind away. Why? Because it's just meeting the judgmental mind with that very same energy, which is the energy of rejection, the energy of desperately seeking safety, the energy of trying to be in control. But instead, we can courageously meet the judgmental mind we can courageously be willing to stand our ground in a certain sense, despite the assaults of the enemy and welcome that enemy in and in that welcoming in, find that profound healing that we're searching for. It's really about dropping our defenses. It's about letting down the armor, putting down the shields, stopping the war and letting ourselves be touched by this world that we live in, right? Just be touched, be touched, be touched, opening that heart again, circumcising the heart, the open heart surgery. It's like, can you just reach right in? Oh, I'm going to touch my heart. And to have that courage means that we take a kind of fundamental responsibility for our life which is both challenging and incredibly liberating. Like I forget, oh, I'm going to misquote it. I don't know, I don't remember who said it, but <laughs> they said, you know, 
You take responsibility for life. And what happens? Oops, nobody to blame. Right? <laughs> Hard to blame anybody else when you take responsibility for your life, which is both the scary part, but also the incredibly liberating part. It's like, oh, I'm totally responsible for my own reactions. Totally responsible. I'm never required to respond in any particular way. Right? You never made me do anything. How often do we say that to other people and they say it to us, right? <laughs> you made me X. Like, no, you didn't, right? Nobody ever made you do anything. What you've noticed, I hope, on this retreat is that spaciousness, that possibility of spaciousness, which is there between what is happening and our response. And when we see that, it's liberating because it's like, oh, it's totally up to me. How amazing. Like, however crazy the other person is being, and they may be, may be being totally crazy, right? It's actually, I don't have to be trapped in that. I always have an option about how to respond. And at the same time, it's terrifying. Because it's like, oh, it's all up to me. Right? No blame anymore. <laughs> no putting the weight on somebody else. It's all up to me. And do I have kind of the guts, the courage, to take that responsibility? When we do that, when we have that courage and responsibility, the courage to be with what is arising and not to just be triggered by it, but to have the wisdom to see it and respond with compassion, we can transform our own lives and the lives of others. It says in Mishnah Masech Ravot, fairly famous line, Ezehu Gibora Kobeshetitro, who is the hero, who is the warrior? Not the one who conquers somebody else, but the one who conquers his own evil inclination, right? It's the self-reference, the self-conquering. And the Mishnah in, in, in um, Avodah Rabbi Natan, a sort of parallel text, recognizes how difficult it is. It says, who is the person who conquers, who is a gibor shibagiborim, the, the hero, the warrior of warriors? One who conquers his inclination. Everyone who conquers his inclination it is considered as if he conquered a whole city full of warriors, right? So no illusion as to how easy that is, right? It's like, oh, that's really hard. But then it says, end of the text, so beautiful, V'yeshomrim, and there are those who say, who is the hero of heroes? Misho ses son o avo. One who makes his hatred, his hater, the one who is his enemy, into his beloved, right? Can we face hate with love? Right? And in a certain sense, it's like it's out there, it's politics, it's all those big pieces, and that's true as well. But it's also just in here. It's like, oh, we feel hurt by somebody. Can we stop and respond with compassion instead of anger? It's that simple, right? And that difficult. And it takes tremendous courage. It's part of what, you know, as you may have noticed on this retreat, we're talking to you about freedom and liberation. And that's what we're here for. But you may have noticed this is probably the least liberated time you've ever spent, right? We basically told you more or less every second of the day what to do, right? <laughs> like do this, do that, now do this, right? That's it. <laughs> Not a lot of free time. 
And a big piece of that is actually a practice of restraint. It's a practice of discipline, which is crucial to what we do here. Right? We have this restraint, which is able, enables us to say, oh, oh, challenge, challenge, feeling threatened, feeling threatened. Instead of just responding with my automatic responsiveness, my automatic triggering, I can stop, I can restrain myself, I can notice, and I can respond with compassion. And every moment you practice when something comes up, and instead of just getting lost in it, you bring the mind back or you notice, is one more moment of practicing that incredibly important quality of restraint. And it's so hard. I, I saw um, a documentary not that long ago called The Interrupters. I don't know if you've seen it. I don't remember which city it takes place in. Chicago. Chicago. There you go. Yeah. Right. So it's about a group of um, former gang members who work with kids in inner city neighborhoods in Chicago to try and interrupt the cycle of violence, right? To try and get them not to participate basically in the cycle of violence. So you're having this conversation with these group of middle schoolers, right? And this one kid was saying, it was so beautiful. He was saying, you know, talking about some other kids who'd like been threatening him and calling him names and doing whatever, you know, middle schoolers do. And saying, you know, but I had to be the bigger man. I had to be the bigger man and not respond back and not fight back. You know, which is like, how hard is that to do for us? And how hard is that to do when you're 13 and a boy, right? And... And I was listening to this kid, and I, and I just saw something very clearly, which is, you know, he happens to live in a situation where guns are readily available and violence is a socially acceptable response, right? That's the situation he happens to live in. And I, through total luck, grew up in a situation where that was not the case, right? But just reflecting on myself as a middle schooler and the pain of being 13, right? I sort of thought to myself, it's like, oh, right. I could have shot somebody, maybe. If I lived in a, if I, like, had readily access to weapons and violence was a socially acceptable option. Like, really? You know, maybe I wouldn't, maybe, I don't know. But, but that's not sort of some other person somewhere else doing that. That's just me in another circumstance doing that. That's totally, totally, totally possible. There were times right, when I was so angry and so hurt and felt so excluded and so unacceptable that maybe that would have been my response. And when I, what I saw when I saw that I think there's is, is two things I want to mention right now about this practice of courage. One is the courage of that kid, right? Who even in the midst of what could be more horrible as like a middle schooler by being taunted and threatened, right? Even in the midst of that, had the courage to say no. Really taking these lessons, the courage of restraint. And second of all, part of why I could see that so clearly was that in my practice, I had seen that the roots of that violence were, of course, in me as well. It wasn't like there were some people out there somewhere who had violence in them. 
or hatred or aggression or everything, shame, jealousy, whatever, right? It's like, no, 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 no. Right here, right here in me, right there in you, each one of you, not because you're bad, right? Just because you're human beings. And that's what happens in us human beings. That's part of just being alive in this human experience. And so I've seen over and over and over again, and with courage, we're willing to face and welcome in those parts of ourselves as well. Right? We give them a home in a certain sense. We do Hanukkah Tabayit. We do Hanukkah and we say, oh, this too can dwell in God's house. You're welcome to be here in God's house. And what we find extraordinarily is that when we're willing to really, really, really open, when we're willing to really be present, to really welcome in, then those things which felt so terrifying and scary actually lose their power. I remember when I started practicing, um, I was having, uh, I started practicing basically because I was depressed. I was, uh, you know, in a very bad state, uh, intense anxiety. And, um, and I had sort of all sorts of physical injuries. And one of my physical therapists was like, you should try meditation. I was like, I'll try anything, right? <laughs> I'm totally suffering and I can't sleep. So you tell me, I'll try it. <laughs> and I remember, um, I don't know if you guys know John Kabat-Zinn, right? <laughs> but I had these, these little tapes. I don't know if you remember tapes, right? <laughs> but they were green tapes that I had. And I would play and start meditating for five minutes a night. And one of the things... You know, one of the first things that I learned that was so radically different for me was I was feeling all this anxiety, and all of a sudden I was being told, don't run away from it, turn towards it. Have the courage to actually turn towards the anxiety, to hold it in love and in compassion, to be fully, fully, fully present with it. It's like, all right, I'll give that a try, right? <laughs> so very challenging, trying, trying, trying. And noticing the more I did it, the more I did it, kind of the more liberation it was. Right? The more I was willing to be courageously present, the more freedom emerged. And then, I can remember still the evening very distinctly. It was about, maybe, I don't know, six, seven months into my practice, something like that. I've been practicing regularly, daily. And at some point, I sort of turned toward the anxiety, this huge like monster which was controlling my life. And I said, come on in. Like, no holds barred, you know. No shields, no armor, no protection anymore, nothing. Just completely come on in. Eat me alive. Like, you can just have me, you know. And in that moment, this huge monster kind of just dissipated. It was like this thing which felt so terrifying. It was going to, like, eat me alive. It's like, oh... It's not even there. It's actually just being fed by my resistance. And I had the courage for a moment to say, you can have me, in a certain sense. Like, I'm not resisting any anymore. All of a sudden, it fell away. It fell away. And it's so clear to me, because I can still remember the feeling of liberation. I was like, oh my God, so much terror in one moment. And then, ha, huh, huh, like, totally fine. <laughs> He's like, totally fine. This huge shift, this huge thing. I can remember like the whole scene. I remember the room I was in. I remember where I was standing. You know, just that very intense sense of, oh, free. 
And it comes from that courage to be who we are, to really open to what is true at this moment. And that's the task of our practice. That's what we're training for right here. It's like, can you open fully, fully, fully to what is happening in this moment? And when you find you can't open, can you bring a little bit more compassion and open to that? Right? It's like, something will happen, trying to open, oh, can't open, definitely don't want to open to that. Right? You might hear that voice being like, that sounds like a bad idea, right? <laughs> like, when James said open, I mean, he didn't mean open to that, right? <laughs> like, for sure not that, right? It's like, no, I mean that too. So <laughs> you notice that, and then you can just notice the resistance to opening. And you can say to the resistance, oh, sweetie, come on in. Come on in. You can be right here. doesn't matter kind of where it happens. It's all the same texture. It's all the same fundamental pattern you're working with. So you just notice wherever the place of fear is, wherever the place of resistance is, and you welcome it in. And you really open to it. And you really let go into it. There's a great story I like to tell. If you sat with me before, you probably heard it. There's a guy running from a lion. And he gets to the edge of a cliff, and he jumps off the cliff. The lion's about to eat him. On the way down, he grabs hold of a branch. And he's looking up at the lion. And he yells out, God, God, save me. And a voice says, yes. And he says, is that really you? The voice says, yes. He says, God, God, please save me. The voice says, okay, just let go. The guy says, is anybody else there? <laughs> Right? It's like we get that all the time. We're like, oh, I just want to be free. I just want to be free. And some part of us says, it's like, oh, just let go. And some other part of ourselves is like, that doesn't sound like a good idea, right? <laughs> Anybody else there? Some other advice I could get here maybe? Maybe instead of letting go, I could like, you know, build a really strong house and nobody could get me, right? <laughs> or protect myself a little bit more. And those are really the two options. Like we let go, we open, or we shut down. And I'm not trying to say that too harshly. We all shut down. I shut down all the time, right? <laughs> it's not about like beating ourselves up for the shutting down. It's just about noticing those two possibilities. And as much as we can, encouraging ourselves to open, encouraging ourselves to let go. So that courage is also opening to the truth. The truth of what's present in each moment. The truth of the wonder of this world. The truth of the sickness of this world. We read today about the quality of Moshe. His ability in a certain sense to turn towards the truth. The truth of God calling from the bush or... There's another midrash on that same, that same statement I just read about who, who's a real hero, who's a real warrior. It says an example, it says, one who can hear the truth and it can be in the presence of divinity, like Moshe, like Moses, who at Sinai, when the rest of Israel trembled and ran away, Moses stood there, right in the presence of the shaking, 
right in the presence of the trembling. Because it's hard. It's like Gloria Steinem, another great Jewish sage, said, um, you know, the truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. Right? <laughs> and that's often the case. It's not always that comfortable to be confronted with the truth. Like the truth of, wow, I'm really that petty? Oi, yeah, right? Or like, I really have that much jealousy? Or that much shame? Or that much anger? Or whatever it is for you, right? Yeah. And it's okay. It's okay. And when we start to be willing to embrace all those exiled parts of ourselves, right? all those parts in exile, in Galut, all those parts that need to be brought back home, we start to be able to become slowly, slowly who we truly are. And it's such a crucial piece of the practice that the Hasidim talk about two beautiful qualities, the same quality, they have two names. One is chutzpah kedosha, holy chutzpah, right? <laughs> it's a great quality. Everybody needs that quality, holy chutzpah. Or ezut de kedusha, which is divine daring, right? It's the courage to be inappropriate, right? It's the courage to be embarrassed. The, the Rav Avlum of, of Kalas, the Kalaska Rebbe, used to have his chassidim do somersaults. Like, not just amongst themselves, like, all over the place, like, in the street, right? <laughs> they would just do somersaults. And the idea seems to be, once you made, like, a complete fool of yourself in the market by doing somersaults, then you can kind of let go of all the kind of embarrassment issues, right? It's like, I already look like a complete idiot, now maybe I can, like, pray with actual intention and intensity, because I'm not scared about other people being like, who's that guy in the corner, what does he look like, Right? And, you know, and that actually happens. I mean, I have a friend, Mike Foyer, anyway, he was happening once, I won't mention where, at a shul, trying to actually pray to God, you know. And he finished, and he finished, and Yom Kippur, and somebody came up to him and said, we don't daven like that here. Right? <laughs> right? So God forbid that should happen to any one of us. <laughs> but, but 